0: Matthew 1, 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary and Joseph, had promised to get married. But before they had started to live together, it became clear that she was going to have a baby. She became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, was a godly man. He did not want to put her to shame in public, so he planned to divorce her quietly. But as Joseph was thinking about this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. The angel said, Joseph, son of David, j- don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. The baby inside her is from the Holy Spirit. She is going to have a son. You must na- give him the name Jesus. That is because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to bring about what the Lord had said would happen. He, s- he said, through the he said through the prophet, the virgin is going to have a baby. She will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us. Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not make love to her until she gave birth to a son. And Joseph gave him the name Jesus.
1: And you could be forgiven... ...for thinking that today was the 25th of December. I was considering throwing in a Christmas carol for good measure. And after all, it is July. Uh, But welcome and good morning. It's great to have you with us. Again, if you're joining us for the first time, we've dedicated 2019 (coughs) to this theme, Fixed on Jesus. We're spending the year really concentrating and focusing on the life and the person and the miracles and the mission of Jesus. As the author to the Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the uh, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And so that's what we're doing this year. And each term we're considering a different aspect to Christ's life. So we began in term one looking at the miracles of Jesus, some of the amazing things that he did. And then last term we considered some of the amazing things that Jesus said in the message of Jesus. And today commences term three, which is looking at the manhood of Jesus. So I guess in in a sense term three and term four is very much going to be around who Christ was Not what he did or what he said, but who he was. And we're going to consider in depth both his humanity and his divinity. And we'll spend time considering um, the significance and the importance of both the humanity and the divinity of Christ. Both are incredibly important to his life and his ministry. And so I hope that over these coming months, we will develop uh, a fuller theology uh, and understanding and appreciation for the person and the work of Jesus. I think as evangelicals, we tend to focus very much so on the divinity of Christ, uh, Jesus as God, and and rightfully so. Uh, But it will be very helpful for us to spend some time considering the importance and the significance of his humanity. Jesus was fully God, or I should say Jesus is fully God, and Jesus is fully human. Let's just take a moment to pause and pray before we consider this morning's Bible passage. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity again, Lord, to come and gather around your word. And Lord, we not only uh, thank you for the word that's been read to us, but your word in its totality and how, Lord, it paints a a wonderful picture for us of your design to win people's hearts back to you from the time that sin first entered the world. And we thank you for your initiative and your plan uh, to send your son, Jesus, that all who put their trust and faith in him will know life now and forevermore. Our Father, what a privilege it is for us to be those who are the redeemed. And, uh, Father, I pray that many more would come to be redeemed ones. Father, for those who are in our midst today who have not yet put their trust and faith in you, I pray that as we examine your word and consider your life and your teachings and your ministry, that it would become so evident of the reality of you, Jesus, in this world. And, Lord, that people would give their hearts to you and follow you as Lord and Saviour and as King. Bless this time now and help us, Lord, to have uh, hearts that are open and ears that are listening to what your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning. And we pray this uh, in the name of Jesus and for his name's sake. Amen. The passage that Tara just read to us is obviously a passage that, is, uh, that often comes out on, on Christmas Day. Uh, but if we're going to talk about the humanity of Jesus, well, the most obvious and important place to start is with the virgin birth. So let's just have a quick read of this together again. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law... And yet did not want to expose her public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, just before I continue, some important things to be aware of. In the four gospels, uh, we have um, narrative infant narratives, uh, so what that means is the, the stories of Jesus as an infant in both Matthew and Luke. In Matthew's Gospel, what we're looking at this morning, it's really taken from Joseph, the earthly father's perspective. Uh, In Luke's account, it's taken from Mary's perspective. In uh, Matthew's account, we don't have the visit of the angel that we get in, in Luke. And in Luke, the angel visits Mary and gives her more detail around the conception of the Holy Spirit. Matthew is a little less, um, is a little more scant on those details. But what we have here is, I suppose, more of an insight into the dilemma that Joseph faced with the woman that he was engaged to be married to, they weren't officially married as of yet, they were sort of in that engagement period which was called betrothal. Engagement actually came before that in these times when engagement, betrothal, marriage and now this in-between state. The uh, engagement was kind of the pre-arranged uh, negotiation that happened when the, the children were much younger. Um, this betrothal stage was a point where both parties had sort of agreed. That this would happen. And then there was a a 12 to 18 month period before the actual marriage proper took place. And it's during that in-between time, the betrothal, that Mary falls pregnant. Now, another thing that we don't find in Matthew's gospel, sorry, that we don't find in yeah, we don't find in Matthew, but we do in Luke, is that immediately after the angel comes to Mary and gives her this news, she goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house and spends potentially three to four months there. So by the time Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, she's been away and she comes back and she would have been visibly pregnant by that stage. So it's understandable from Joseph's perspective that his wife-to-be had been unfaithful to him and so he wanted to go about uh, quietly divorcing her and that's the dilemma that he comes up with. However, an angel, another, uh, another angelic appearance, this time the angel not appearing to Mary, but this time the angel appears... To Joseph, he does so in a dream. We read, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. That's important. It's really important that the Messiah came from the line of David. And so what's being established right there is that Joseph, the earthly father to be, comes from the line of David. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. This next bit is really important as well. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Now, in this culture, it was the father's right and obligation and responsibility to name the child. And in fact, when a father named a child, he assumed the legal rights of a a parent. And so because Joseph, and it was so important that Joseph be the one to give Jesus his name, at that that point, and we see as the text goes on, it it is confirmed that Joseph indeed does give Jesus his name, Joseph becomes the legal father of Jesus and therefore Jesus inherits all of the uh, legal birthrights as an heir and Jesus then inherits the lineage of David as well as the fact that the name Jesus means he will save people from their sins and we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. the virgin birth, there's some really important things going on. To start with, this birth is unparalleled, (laughs) and it really is a a remarkable miracle. Um, For many of us who, I suppose, have grown up in the church, or grown up in the Christian tradition and teachings, it's kind of just something that we come to readily accept, and perhaps don't give a whole lot of thought to. Uh, But the virgin birth is so important and so significant to our theology and our understanding of the person and work of Christ. The virgin birth is a hard concept to get our minds around from an earthly human perspective. But if we can believe and trust that God is the creator of the world, then we can trust that God is capable of... Of, uh, of causing a woman to conceive supernaturally through the Holy Spirit. When we consider the virgin birth, there are a few things for us to consider. And the first thing is that the whole plan of salvation was God's idea and God's initiative. No amount of human effort can bring about our salvation. It is entirely God's design and God's initiative. And when Mary fell pregnant, it had nothing to do with the, the human input. It had to do with God's input through the Holy Spirit. We can't contribute anything to our own salvation. And so the, so the rock bed, of, if you will, of the virgin birth is at the very beginning of, of our salvation is entirely God's initiative. Because Jesus was conceived without an earthly father. Uh, He was born without what is called original or inherited sin. And the theology or teaching behind that is that everyone, in a sense, is born with original or inherited sin. And it's a little bit like your nationality. Whatever country you're born in, that's the nationality that you are. And ever since Adam's first sin... Theologically, we understand that every person is, in a sense, tainted with sin because of that first sin. However, Jesus, in a sense, diverted from this line of original sin by not being born of an earthly father. For Jesus to die in our place, it was imperative that he be a sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb. And that's what he was. And so we see with the virgin birth that it was God's initiative, but we also see that right from his very beginning, Jesus did not start out with that original or inherited sin like you and I and every other person has. He was born sinless, and Scripture will testify uh, on many countless occasions the fact that Jesus lived a sinless life, even though, just like you and I, he was fully human. We read in Galatians 4, 4 to 5, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. God had to be born under the law so that he could um, represent those who were bound by the law. We are told in this account the name The meaning, the significance of Jesus' name, meaning that he shall save his people from their sins. Uh, Right from the very beginning of Jesus' birth, in a sense, the cross is already in view. Jesus came to save and to rescue people from their sins. In order to do that, though, he had to be that perfect, sinless, spotless lamb. 1 John 3, 5 says, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. This is one of several passages uh, that highlights the fact that Jesus lived a sinless life. Another one is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The virgin birth, if you will, is this beautiful blending of, of humanity and divinity. Jesus is conceived supernaturally, divinely, if you will. Uh, Jesus is born uh, as, just as every other human uh, is born. And uh, it really is... A great illustration or an example of how the humanity and the divinity of Jesus is perfectly blended. Why was Jesus's full humanity necessary? It's important at this point just to say that much of my um, learning this week has been informed by Wayne Grudem uh, in his systematic theology book, so I want to certainly give credit to that. Um, he, and uh, this, is, this today is like just a really mini-theology. As you know, There were like nine points. I've taken four, for example. So the first one is it, it was important that Jesus embraced or embodied full humanity so that he could actually represent us before God. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. That's that inherited original sin concept. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Because of Adam's failure, what we have with Jesus, as what is referred to as the second man, is his perfection. And where Adam fails, Jesus triumphs. And therefore, Jesus uh, was obedient to God and therefore can represent us before God perfectly. The second area is this substitutionary sacrifice. We read in Hebrews, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, The devil and free those who all their lives held in slavery by the fear of their death. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. It's really important, although we don't have a high priest today this concept of a high priest is really important to the people of God because they lived in a a context where they could not make representation themselves to God. They needed to have an intermediate person and that person was the high priest. And that was the go-to person, if you will. And even that person was sinful. And there were a whole bunch of ceremonial things that the high priest needed to do in order to then represent God's people. But Jesus has become our high priest. And he, therefore, is the intermediate. He is the sacrifice that was required uh, on our behalf to God. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Not only... um, Did Jesus represent God to us? So when we want to understand what God looks like, we look at the life of Jesus, we look at the nature of Jesus, and in so doing, we see God. Jesus, uh, we are represented to God through Jesus. And when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Just a wonderful thing for us to take hold of. And Jesus sets us an example and a pattern to live. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, today's message is a little heavier than normal because it's really just, as I said, a mini theology. In the coming weeks, we're going to unpack and look in more depth and detail at different elements and aspects of the person of Christ. But what we're going to discover is that Jesus was fully human, just like you and I. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, you and I also have the Holy Spirit living within us. And Jesus was tempted, we read, in every way like us, but he overcame those temptations. And whilst you and I are always going to live with a sinful nature, the reality is that because we have, just like Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we too can become more and more Christ-like. In fact, we can become more our true selves. When we look at the sinless life of Jesus, we actually get a snapshot of what God's original intention for humanity was. It wasn't God's design that you and I would live with a sinful nature. It was God's design right from the very start that we would live um, as people who didn't sin. And what we see in Jesus is a person who lived that perfect life. And so Jesus sets before us an example. And when we consider the example of Christ and consider the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, that gives us great hope that we too can continue, as the writer to the Hebrews said, be perfected. In our faith. Now, one thing that I've learned this week, which I thought was really fascinating, is this little word here is. You see, I would have probably said Jesus was fully human. But Jesus is fully human. When Jesus ascended to go and be with the Father, the incarnation was not reversed. Jesus ascended into heaven with a physical, recognizable body. And he continues to exist in heaven in that fashion. Jesus was fully human. Jesus is fully human. Jesus had a human body. Jesus, just like you and I, was born he grew as a child, as an infant, as an adolescent, and he grew into a man. He experienced all of the physical limitations uh, that you and I experience in our bodies. We read in the Scriptures of occasions where Jesus was thirsty, where Jesus was hungry, where Jesus was tired, where Jesus was frustrated, uh, where Jesus became angered. We see a whole range of experiences that Jesus experienced in his body Jesus experienced pain and then i guess ultimately Jesus is, Jesus died his body died just like ours will die Jesus had and has a fully human body it's really important for us and i think in, incredibly encouraging for us when we consider the humanity of Christ not just the humanity that was but the humanity that is. Consider this text. This is a post-resurrection text. Jesus has been raised from the grave and he is still appearing to his disciples in a physical body. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, "'Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? "'Look at my hands and my feet. "'It is I myself. "'Touch me and see a ghost.'" does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. What Jesus was doing in that moment was demonstrating to them his physicality, now, he had risen from the grave. He is in his glorified state at this point. He did not, go, did not ascend into heaven. He ascends into heaven in exactly the same fashion that we see here. There is no biblical evidence to suggest that when Jesus arrived in heaven, he kind of transformed into some other state of being or that he reversed to his pre-incarnate state. No, in fact, in Revelation, there's images of the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is reference to Jesus' humanity. Jesus was called the Son of God. That refers to his divinity. Jesus also referred to as the Son of Man. And the Revelation says, I see a Son of Man And so when Jesus ascended, he ascended with a physical, recognisable body. He was able to eat. His disciples could look at him and see him. Now, this gives me great hope and anticipation and excitement, and it should for all of us, because what it means is that when we are in glory, when we are reunited with one another and with our loved ones who have already gone to be with glory, we're going to recognise them. (laughs) They're not going to be some disembodied spirit. The physical body matters, and the theology of the humanity of Jesus is hugely validating to our humanity. Our humanity is not something that is secondary, our humanity is actually how God designed us to be in the first place. And what God is going to do is he is going to restore and perfect that which was broken. And our new bodies will be perfect in every way. We won't suffer from weakness or illness or sickness or death. But our bodies will be physical human bodies. And I think that's something for us to be excited about. I know I am. And I hope for those of you who have lost loved ones that this gives you great hope, knowing that you will be reunited with that dear person or persons And we can look forward to being in that state. Jesus not only had a human body, but Jesus also had a human heart. And by this, I guess I mean the emotions and the feelings that Jesus experienced. Again, in the Gospels, we read of all the different types of emotions that Jesus experienced. Jesus would have laughed. We read of Jesus crying. We we, we read of Jesus' soul being deeply troubled. I love this quote by John Calvin. It says, Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh. Isn't that beautiful? That Christ not only took on a human body, but he also took upon himself the feelings the emotions kind of the heart if you will of what it is to be human how glorious and jesus also had a human mind in luke 252 we read that jesus grew in wisdom Jesus went through a period of learning. Jesus would have learnt how to eat, how to crawl, how to walk, how to obey his mum and dad, how to do carpentry. There were all kinds of skills that Jesus had to learn. And this was part of being fully human. To be fully human, Jesus, and for us to be able to identify with Jesus, it was important for him to experience and embrace What it is to be human. Now, the fact that Jesus has a human body, a human heart, and a human mind is absolutely wonderful because Jesus did not only come to save our bodies, Jesus came to save our hearts, Jesus came to save our minds. And all of us need saving from all three because our bodies and our hearts and our minds are broken and depraved and affected by sin. And Jesus took on it all so that he could rescue and deliver us from it all. What a marvellous saviour we have. Gregory, the theologian, said this, that which he has not assumed, he has not healed. And I am convinced, as I'm sure you will be, as we spend this term considering the humanity of Christ, there is not an aspect to our lives that he has not assumed and therefore that he has not rescued and redeemed us from. What a marvellous saviour we have. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you became like one of us, that you, Lord, took on flesh and became fully human. Lord, thank you that because you did this, you are able to perfectly represent us God, both in obedience and in sacrifice by paying a price that we could never pay Jesus you are the perfect high priest, you are that perfect person who can represent us to God and atone for our sins and Jesus we thank you that because you are fully human we can relate to you and indeed you can relate to us Thank you, Jesus, that when we pray to you about situations that are affecting our bodies or our feelings and emotions or our minds, that you understand that you hear and you listen and you can and will bring healing. We thank you for this and we look forward to continuing this conversation uh, as we continue to learn what it meant for you to become fully human and it's in your name jesus that we pray amen, amen. would you please stand, and stand.